You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. The intention when having these conscious conversations, these difficult conversations, like I said earlier, is not about who's right or wrong. It's like, okay, how can we come to a place of understanding one another? Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here along with my co-host, India Jackson, to get the dialogue going. Y'all, my voice still sound like this. I hope y'all still love me. Um, <laughs> today... India and I are having a conversation with an amazing human. The conversation is so good when it's the three of us. So we had to do it with both of us. And I mentioned it in the beginning of um, the episode, but we try to do a lot of things on the podcast to really be aware of people, their energetic capacity and what it is that makes them who they are. And so we actually very honestly only show up with one of us typically for most interviews because we never want anyone to feel overwhelmed or to feel like it's a performance and it's challenging or it's difficult and they can't really kind of relax into the conversation. Now, ultimately, we can't always control that, but it really is important to us to be able to provide and facilitate as much as possible an environment for people to be able to just come, be who they are, and to have the most powerful and conducive conversation for the types of outcomes that we're all here to facilitate. And it's also something that we do to make sure that we are being allies from an accessibility standpoint. So I wanted to share that that is something that we do. Um, It's another one of the things that we do similar to the articles that we create because accessibility really does matter. And we want you to know that no matter who you are, how you are, and what you need right now, we are open to do our best to meet you at that place. So just had to put that in there. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about Elaine, and then I'm going to let you just kind of jump on in because Indy and I always have such a great conversation with Elaine. So let me tell you about who she is. Elaine Lucartis is a business and career coach and speaker serving clients in 23 different countries. Elaine specializes in helping women of color, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders land their dream career and create business opportunities through authentic relationships, both online and offline. As a result, clients have made multi-six-figure and seven-figure incomes, received $25,000 raises, earned six-figure corporate salaries, transitioned into new careers, and create their own global businesses. Elaine has over a decade of experience as a political grassroots organizer and nonprofit fundraiser. One of her proudest accomplishments was raising one million in student scholarships in six months, providing 200 plus scholarships. Today, Elaine is the founder of the Color Your Dreams movement, an initiative to inspire and support women of all colors to create their dream business and life. She has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Badassery Magazine, and Pasadena Magazine, and Good Morning La La Land. She has spoken around the world, including Sweden and Indonesia, as well as Universal Music Studios. She leads monthly community events in the Los Angeles area. She lives in Pasadena, California, with her boyfriend and loves boxing. So, I know you want to hear. 
Let's go ahead and just get into it. Let's do this. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, Piscataway, and Antigua people native to this area known as Maryland. Hello, Miss India. Hello. How are you? I am excited for today's conversation. You and me both. So I guess I would say I'm doing well. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I know we don't often have both of us on with a guest because for those that don't know, we try to be very aware and considerate of people that are possibly neurodivergent, neuroemergent, or just like, I cannot have this conversation with y'all two people at a time and I'm on recording. Like, that's a lot. So we don't do it too often. However, we have somebody on today that like our conversation between the three of us is so dynamic. There was no way to not have this. Yeah. And it feels like uh, <laughs> we can't talk about that without saying that we've also had prior conversation with this person on their podcast too. And it went so well. It's such a great episode as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So without further ado, everyone, everyone, welcome Elaine Cartes to the podcast. Hello, Elaine. Hello. I'm excited. I feel so special to have both of you interview me, but we know that the, I'm not the star. It's all three of us. So I'm excited for this conversation. It is all of us. I'm so excited for this. And I'm like, thank you for making time and showing up and having just open, spontaneous conversation because that's how we roll <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it wouldn't even be, you know, right to start a conversation, to talk about, you know, having difficult conversations um, in the workplace, to not start by asking you to share, like, what is it that you think makes conversations difficult in the workplace? Well, we are all different, right? As humans, we grew up differently. We have different perspectives, different beliefs, different thoughts. And I'm a first-generation immigrant. I'm Filipino, and I grew up differently, right, from everyone else. And then going to the workplace, it's a different type of culture from what I grew up to. So when you involve all of that, it's What's hard is learning to understand because I think we all grew up as children where like who's right or wrong, but the reality is it's about learning to understand one another and relearning how to communicate with others because I grew up in a household where when you yell, you got heard. And if you don't yell, you don't get heard. But that doesn't work in the workplace. You can't just yell at someone. I mean, you can. You just, you have to understand that there's going to be an outcome that you might not want. <laughs> you can. Yeah, you'll go to the HR office. That's what's going to happen, you know? It's like, well, good luck with that one. Which is interesting to me is that um, I I feel like my upbringing was the opposite. Like if you yelled, you were in trouble. <laughs> Did you find it was similar for you, Erica? I got, like, you, you were not yelling because who were you raising your voice at? But you understood what it was when people raised their voice at you. You had done something that needed to be directed or needed to be fixed, but it wasn't something that you could do. And I always wonder as an adult how that works within the workplace from the space of like somebody communicates with me in a very different way than I have the capacity to communicate with them. Mm, the boss can yell, but I can't. Right. That kind of thing. Like, do you find that that shows up in that way, Elaine? Because that was definitely something that was programmed for me. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's different for each workplace, right? So I've had many different jobs. So I came from the political world where there was a lot of yelling from political candidates I worked with. I'm like, okay, I guess this is appropriate. I guess this is what you're supposed to do. You just take orders and you listen. And that was a perspective I grew up with growing up in an Asian household. Whatever my dad said, we had to do. And I figured that's what you have to do. So unfortunately, that was a perspective of what being normal is. Like, okay, this is normal, quote unquote. Like, it is normal to yell out that's what a boss should do. And then as I've had a different experience working, I say it was my dream job working at Pasadena City College Foundation. I had a boss who 
would ask questions. I wasn't used to it. Like, hey, we're thinking of doing this. What's your feedback? Like, wait, what? You're asking me for feedback? And it would be so funny because I'd be at board meetings with her and she would make faces and I would text him like, you are making a resting bitch face. Fix your face. <laughs> um, but that was a wonderful relationship I had with her. But it's understanding the dynamics and also understanding how to give feedback to others, right? I don't think I would have been able to give that feedback to ex-bosses I used to have, but I had a different type of relationship with her. Um, And in the different transitions I've had in my different careers, I mean, I am a business and career coach now, and it's really navigating and how to communicate with others. But I had to learn, oh, if I want to give feedback to someone, I have to ask before. I wasn't used to that because of how I was, how I grew up. I'm the oldest. I have two brothers. I was just used to telling them what I thought was wrong, what they need to fix, right? Versus, hey, can I give you feedback or can I let you know what I noticed at a meeting and then giving feedback? That was something I had to relearn to do. So the interesting thing there for me that shows up in India, I'm curious if you agree, is that I think exactly what you're mentioning is what a lot of people now are having some conversations about, which is consent. And what you're mentioning Mm -hmm. is actually one of the first places that I think I had, you know, had kind of mentioned to me over the years of where consent was even remotely showing up, particularly in, you know, a difficult conversation. I feel like that was like that first place of like, Hey, let me ask before I jump into this because consent really isn't, openly discussed. No, it isn't. And you're preparing the other person prior to giving the feedback, or they might not just have the time to even receive the feedback and being okay if they say, there have been times, like even in my personal, like, hey, even to my own partner, can I give you feedback? Like, oh, I'm working on something. Like, okay, when can I talk to you um, about it again? talk to me at 5 p.m. after work. Okay, I'll do it then. I'm like, okay, can I give you feedback, right? So even being open, I think we live in this world, unfortunately, and I call it the Amazon Prime world, that we're expected to reply to every single message or question right away and giving people agency and choice when they can receive that feedback from you. That's important. One of the key things that you said that stands out to me is being able to receive it Um, and (laughs) that openness um, to receive it can sometimes be based on time, but I've also on the receiving end have witnessed when just like maybe you have something else on your mind or or you're in a mood or you haven't, I get pretty hangry sometimes. Erica can attest to that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feed me. You definitely don't want to give me any feedback when I haven't ate. <laughs> well, you know, I know we're joking around but about this, but that's actually important is understanding when is the right timing to give that feedback, right? Um, I find if we see a general sense, like the best time to give feedback is earlier in the morning. So not early, like 5 a.m., right? But like if you happen to have a meeting, it's 9 a.m. with the person, like, hey, do you mind if I give you feedback? And the reason why earlier in the morning, it's because they haven't gone through their shitty day yet. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not dealing with the stress of everything. Um, I'm pretty sure, Erica, since you know, India gets hangry and if it's around like 12 p.m., you're not going to give her feedback right now. That feedback, (laughs) like, like actually, Erica, you could be smart about it. Let me go like give you some coaching tips. Like, hey, India, did you eat? Cool, girl. Let's go on a call right now. (laughs) (laughs) Strangely enough, that's part of our like weekly debriefing that we do with each other of like, where do I need to be held accountable this week? And very often things will come up around remembering to eat. Did you drink enough water? Because that does play a part in whether or not you can communicate in a conduit, not only providing something, but receiving something. And as we we also talk about timing, it's also understanding what is the other person's priority or the organization's priority, right? So if you have an event coming up and you notice something you want to give feedback to the person, it has nothing to do with the event. It might just be something else. Then wait until the event is over, right? 
unless it has to deal with event and it is urgent and it affects your clients or whatever it is, then have that conversation. So it's learning when to prioritize having that conversation. And the importance of having, I don't call it difficult conversations, I call it conscious conversations. But when we have these converse, conscious conversations with with a, an individual, it actually deepens the relationship. I kind of give the comparison of having that conscious conversation with your romantic partner, right? You fall in love with them even more when you're having these open conversations of understanding. Like I deepen my relationship with my partner each time we have a conversation, like, oh, wow, I did not realize that about you. Or he would say the same thing to me. Like that really made me empathize because I didn't realize you grew up that way. So the interesting thing about what you mentioned is, and I'm hearing this consistently, it's also understanding that people are unique and there is not any one way to do this. And so kind of picking up on some of that nuance is important. And when you use the example of if there's an event, unless it is something that is tied to something that is time sensitive or, you know, absolutely pertinent to being able to carry out that outcome, you can wait and carry it out at a different time. However, as somebody that absolutely vehemently cannot stand when people are like, hey, I want to tell you something, but I'll tell you about it later. Please don't do that to me. Don't, don't do that to me. <laughs> because it may, then I now have this overthinking that will start in my brain. The loop plays and I don't know what it is. It is one thing to ask me if I can have this conversation with you. It's another to come and kind of mic drop on me and say, I want to have this conversation, but I'll come have it later. Wait, what? No, no, yes. now we're going to have it now. <laughs> now we're going to have it now. <laughs> and I think it's so important with that to keep that in mind with the people that you're interacting with, especially if like they're a direct report or someone that in some way, shape or form does kind of, you know, answer to or confer with you to really be aware of what is going to position them from a nervous system standpoint to be present and open to this conversation and not defensive? Yeah, it makes me think about um, a client that we've had, Erica, where uh, they have lots of ideas that come up throughout the day or questions that come up throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, and how we've given them access to a place to dump those questions so they can come with them all together, like at once in an organized way. And it doesn't feel like as a service provider, they're constantly flooding with new things to think about. Yes. Um, you can actually take your time to go through them one at a time. And I'm just wondering, because um, that allows them to get those ideas out of their head mm -hmm. and also allows uh, as a service provider for us to be able to address them in a way that's going to be the most helpful. I'm wondering if there are any other little things like that that have shown up for you and what you've witnessed and being able to like prepare for difficult conversations. Yeah. Well, I want to share the importance of asking for consent right in the beginning um, because let's be honest, we all get triggered when someone tells us something, right? And we may create statements in our thoughts because of how we grew up. Like, oh no, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why did I make a mistake? Or perfectionism comes up. So that's why it's important to ask for consent. It's to prepare the person so that they may not get triggered from whatever they have dealt or healed with in the past. Um, and it's the way you phrase it, right? Like it's, I want to give you feedback because of something I noticed when I stated this, or I want to give you feedback because I know this is a project that we're working on, like reminding them what the bigger goal is, why you are giving the feedback and then share the feedback with them. Like I noticed that I'll just kind of like share a story because I think stories really help, but I was working with an older woman. Um, I'm 34, she's 60 and I share the age because it will make sense when I share the story. Um, but she, whenever I did something great, she would give me feedback like, oh, good girl. And I was like, why does this Ooh. feel so weird? Why is she telling me good girl? And then I gave feed, I told my boss, uh, but then I realized it wasn't her responsibility to give feedback to the person. So, um, I, we had like a group meeting after uh, Another tip, do not give feedback if it's something personal like that um, in a group setting. So I waited until everybody left. 
And let's call this person's name is Kim. So I asked Kim, hey, Kim, can you stay? And she stayed and I let her know, Kim, I really appreciate like we've we've worked together on this project. We raised a million dollars while at the same time, I want to let you know when you give me the compliment, good girl, it does come off as condescending, like you're treating me like a dog. Um, so if you notice how I gave her that feedback, I shared with her how much I appreciate working with her. And I want to give her that feedback of how it made me feel uncomfortable. While at the same time, I also want to share, I was completely unattached to how she was going to respond. What was very important for me was giving her the feedback because I've been feeling very uncomfortable and I needed to honor that. What was fascinating is her response was, oh my gosh, Elaine, I've always shared that compliment with other younger women that have done a great job by saying, good girl, and no one's given me this this feedback. Mm. And that was such a great response for me to hear because I realized, wow, this woman is in her 60s. And at the time I was, I think, 27. So she's been in the workforce for what, four decades And it made me realize, wow, no one has given her this feedback. I'm the first one to give her this feedback. And yes, she did stop saying good girl. And it just showed me how beautiful this world can be when giving each other feedback in a place of understanding. Like I didn't go in the I'm right, you're wrong, you do what I say. It was more like this is how it's making me feel. And it educated her and... And we had such, we've had such a great relationship working together. I think that makes such a big difference because there now, obviously, I think after um, we're like some of us, I would say probably 35 to 40 and over, we definitely got a lot of different rhetoric when it came to how you communicated in the workplace. And it absolutely did minimize your feelings really mattering. It's like, oh, suck it up. And the way that, you know, work is kind of done now, how you feel doing your job or the work or the task or your skill, it is a lot more awareness around the fact that if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel appreciated, if you don't feel respected, you cannot do your best work. And I appreciate that it's such a larger part of the conversation because it definitely wasn't that way before. Yeah, I'm really grateful it's happening. I am jealous in all the best and good ways for this new generation. Um, I'm a millennial. I am now 34 where they can share this. And what's really important is educating others on how to communicate because um, like for for example, I was 24. I wanted to get a raise, um, and like I said earlier, I'm first generation immigrant. So I asked my parents, "Hey, how do I ask for a raise? I know I need it. I'm working like long hours. I'm doing more than my job description. Like, well, if you just work a lot, you're going to get the raise you want." I'm like, "That's not how it works." Yeah, I was like, "This is not how it works in this country in this workplace," and. And at, and I hired my first career coach. I mean, I it's funny because I'm a business and career coach now, but I hired my first career coach because I needed someone to teach me how to communicate. And while working with her, it wasn't just asking for the raise. I eventually did. I went from 60000 to 72 k But that was I kind of got addicted. What I mean by that is when I got the raise, I got addicted to, oh, wow, I could ask for what I want. I could share my ideas and my opinions. And how I grew up was like people honor whatever you do, but also people will respect you more by giving input and feedback in a respectful manner. And that's what I had to relearn for myself. It's so powerful because we're this we're very close to the same age and I feel like similar things showed up for me of the idea of like you find the good government job being based in the Washington DC area, like that's the rhetoric. Find the good <laughs> government job and mm-hmm. work your way up from the bottom to the top by just being a really hard worker. You'll naturally mm-hmm. get promoted in raises. And it's like, um, that's not the world we live in anymore. <laughs> nope. Keep keep your head down, be quiet, don't make a lot of noise. Just be very nondescript. And I'm 
curious. Um, I'm curious if it's, I hate that I'm sharing this, but if it's be, because it that was their perspective of, as a woman of color, you know, unfortunately yes. I'm an Asian American, right? So there's these stereotypes that you hire an Asian American woman and she's just going to listen and obey whatever you do. Mm-hmm. I was not that. Let me just share. And, and I gave feedback and suggestions and called people out on things that they were not used to. Um, and that's actually how I moved up and got promoted. It wasn't sitting still and doing whatever my boss told me to do. It was I'm giving feedback and sharing it. And mind you, yes, I've been in positions and jobs where they didn't listen to my feedback. They expected me to just do the role. And guess what? I left because I wasn't being respected and heard. So I think part of it, I mean, there, there's definitely the piece of being women of color and specifically for me personally, I can say being a black woman, there was definitely those pieces of number one, be grateful for getting it. Oh, like, I hear like that you, all you, the time. Like, like you, you should be glad. And so therefore, you know, you're not supposed to uh, talk back or um, really do anything to truly advocate for yourself. Autonomy wasn't necessarily something that was uh, a, a positive thing, but there was also, kind of this this space of it didn't benefit you to do something outside of the box because then you would also run into this thing of like, you know, who are you to do this? Because other people didn't do that and then it would make you stand out and then there would be almost this thing that um, unfortunately a number of people that I know that happen to either be black or black women have experienced specifically from conversations I've had of like, Oh, you, you, you think you're too good to. Mm. Um, and so there's this place of like, uh, am I not supposed to think highly of myself? <laughs> and I'm not sure <laughs> what you expect from me, but it usually, these types of things usually come on the heels of something where either, you have advocated for yourself or somehow somebody has to do something different and they have to maybe do something that requires them to work a little harder and they don't like it. I remember working in the very first um, salon when I was doing my apprenticeship and I had a boss tell me, and I don't remember what I said to him. He just didn't like it. And he said to me, if I tell you to clean the toilets, you're going to clean them. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, okay. The next day <laughs> I found a whole new place. And within within a week, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving. Because I had no intentions at 19 years of age to be disrespected by this old white man who thought that it was okay to talk to me any old kind of way because he perceived me as a child. I don't know that I can speak to the race piece. I can say that I felt like that played into it, but I knew I wasn't willing to do it. And it's not a difficult conversation if someone is talking at you or disrespecting you or demeaning you. And I want to differentiate that as well. A challenging or difficult conversation is somebody bringing something that maybe isn't necessarily positive or neutral. And it's just something that there's, there's feedback or space for growth, but it does not have to be negative. And it always includes respecting people. Reconsider your normal. This is what can take you from being in a box to breaking it on your terms. Bi-weekly, India Jackson, co-founder of Pause on the Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values and amplify your influence by giving the Font Your Fire podcast a follow today. Elaine is one of our amazing members inside of Pause on the Play, the community. And this type of conversation that you're hearing right now, Elaine is this person in the community and she gives and she receives. And this is exactly what we want from all of our members, that ability to be open, to be honest, to be transparent, to share what it is that they have with others, to be willing to amplify others and to be willing to know that it is also safe if they so choose to receive to be able to be supported and to know that they have people there that are willing to have their back there's something about knowing 
that you have access to that type of support. This is just part of what happens inside of Pause on the Play, the community, the conversations, the dialogue, being able to be a part of our office hours, being able to be a part of community conversations, being able to be a part of co-working hours. There's so much that you have access to. And all of it reminds you that you don't have to do this alone. If you are ready to be a part of the community, we are ready for you. You can join today by coming on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community and learn a little bit more. And again, today could be the day. Join us now. As you share all of that, I just, I was already questioning, are there some specific nuanced pieces of approaching difficult conversation that may be different when you come from an underrepresented or discriminated against group? Um, Might there be some different things that you need to pull on or be aware of? I don't know what comes up for either of you, but I can see where, especially as we talked about, like you should be glad you even have this job mentality. Uh, mm -hmm. It does spark that. Well, I have a story to share um, and feel free to like unwrap it. But it was where... It was when I was working at a political campaign. I was a grassroots organizer. Um, and I got along really well with my boss. But, right, we learn a lot about leadership from bosses. So white man, an ally, good friend of mine. And when he would lead meetings with consultants, he would just blatantly say, that's wrong or that's not right. I'm like, okay. So I took note in my head, like, okay, so if I see something wrong or not right, I should do that myself at meetings. So I did that, right? In one of the next meetings I led. And they didn't listen. They didn't respond back. So I had to like actually think to myself, and it's unfortunate I was thinking this way. I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a white man. And at the time I was 22 because I was 22 years old at my first director position. I'm like, I can't say the same thing. And I learned, I had, like I said earlier, I had to relearn like, oh, it's asking questions. It's consent, right? He was being listened to in his privilege that he has and I wasn't and then giving that consent as a woman of color. I'm happy for both of you to dissect it. But that was like my first experience of I can't do the same thing he did. It has to be different for me. Ooh, there's so much. I know. I knew if I was going to share that story, you were going to dissect it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So first and foremost, to tell someone that's wrong is not okay. Because unless we are talking about the type of thing that is the risking of life, limb, physical, mental, spiritual, or emotional safety, you don't get to decide what's right or wrong for someone. Now, obviously, if we're talking about parameters or laws or this is how things are done like like there there are specific things and like let's say a nonprofit sector just as an example like there are certain things that you have to do a certain way but even if okay even if that is the thing the minute you respond to someone by saying that's wrong they're gonna shut down that's not conducive conversation. It's not collaborative and it is borderline disrespect. I don't, I would consider it disrespect um, because there are some people that just, they communicate directly and maybe for them that feels comfortable. But for me, that would, that could feel very disrespectful. And that is basically, you know, kind of giving me the message that what you said is wrong. And depending on when you give it to me, or if you're giving it to someone else, it might actually translate as you, the human are wrong. That's Mm. not, Mm. that's not okay. Like there's so many pieces there, but that was the first thing that I'm like, behavior modeling is so important. And to behavior model that you can safely do that as a white man is already damaging enough. But then to model that and someone that doesn't identify in the same way now is given the message that this is how we do this. You're inviting conflict and miscommunication. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing that showed up for me is that the word curiosity. Um, And I personally feel like sometimes it is us marginalized and underrepresented folk that have to bear the burden of being curious. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that curiosity actually is where the conversation happens, is where the openness, the sharing, the understanding why Um, This thing that maybe you may view as something that is a softer version of wrong was actually right for someone else. But you miss that entire opportunity when you just go in of this is right and this is wrong. Um, And I'll say the other thing that showed up for me is just wondering if in general that plays out into the consent piece as well. Right. So when we at, when we seek the consent, when we establish a good time, a good place, a good situation to have this conversation, might the other person be more open, more receptive, more curious? I also have to address the fact that part of the problem here, um, while there may have been other people in a leadership role that you may have also had access to or that were also behavior modeling, I also want to acknowledge that your role model was not representative of how you showed up. Mm -hmm. Your role model was a white man. This person did not identify with you at any of the intersections that makes you who you are. And not having that is also a part of not only what can challenge our ability to figure out what is our particular way of communicating, but it also doesn't give you an opportunity to talk with someone or to communicate with someone about what have they learned or experienced that got them to this point. And maybe everything that they learned maybe isn't for you, but having that opportunity to be able to discuss that with somebody that identifies at least in some way, shape or form similarly to you, I think does make a difference. And I will share, it's fascinating because I work with women of color. I'm a business and career coach for women of color. And one of the first things they tell me is, it's so nice to see someone who looks like me. And when I give them tips on how they could communicate with their boss or with their colleague, if they have the business with their team member, like, oh, I didn't realize I could communicate that way. It's because we weren't modeled. We weren't shown that way, right? Whether it is having an older white man as the boss or we just live in a traditional household where we listen to our father, it's relearning. And I just think about, wow, how much better this world can be not just professionally, but personally, if we just learned how to communicate, ask for consent, and ask curious questions, because it is asking questions, right? The intention when having these conscious conversations, these difficult conversations, like I said earlier, is not about who's right or wrong. It's like, okay, how can we come to a place of understanding one another? Mm -hmm. I think there's this place of... Challenging conversations, uncomfortable conversations, conversations that you just might not want to have to have, but that need to be had. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason that they feel that way is because of the fact that openly communicative conversation has not been normalized as much as it really can be. And I, and I was about to say should be, and the, the word should always makes me feel a certain way. <laughs> so, But there's not enough normalizing of it. And so therefore it feels uncomfortable or challenging because it feels like the thing that you really shouldn't do, the thing that you're not supposed to do, the thing that you don't want to have to do, as opposed to making it so that it's just a part of communicating. It's just another conversation. Well, I think often we get there because it's not being normalized. We're not getting a lot of examples of what this is to even begin to replicate and model for ourselves. Um, And instead, oftentimes what we're witnessing is an exertion of power. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm the leader. I'm the parent. I'm the whatever. So I'm going to exert my power by putting my perspective on everything and not really being open 
to discussion of what yours is, or that maybe there's room for me to expand mine. Um, And so I just, as I take in this conversation and also take part of it, I think that part of what we're calling people to do in the consent piece and in the openness and curiosity is going to serve their own conversations, but it also might inspire other people to have conversations differently too. And if we think about the bigger picture, right, it's how can I deepen this relationship? How can I be a better human? What my old boss, um, still a mentor to me when I worked at Passing City College Foundation shared with me is the moment someone stops giving you feedback is the moment they have given up on you. Yes. And we are not perfect by any means. We are human. We make mistakes. We have our own traumas, our own triggers, right? And I always take it as a compliment when someone is willing to have that difficult conversation with me and for me to receive it. Um, I've gone through my own trauma where also when you're at the receiving end and you realize it's probably a lot to take, even letting the person know like, hey, I need time to process this. Like, thank you for sharing. Let me get back to you. Like, you don't need to necessarily respond right away, even taking the time to process it. And Unfortunately, we live in a world of social media where we see people with different beliefs and it's like, this is how I believe. No, you're right. No, you're wrong. Like that's what we see. But remembering how these difficult conversations do deepen us as an individuals, as a society, I think the pandemic has been a gift. And yes, COVID is real. People have died. We're still going on through a pandemic. But what I mean by the pandemic has been a gift is that what I've seen, what we've all seen is we as individuals have had deeper, difficult conversations with ourselves, right? That's why there's the great resignation. That's why there's millions of businesses opening up each year since 2020. So we're really questioning having that deep conversations within ourselves. That's why divorce rates are up, having deep conversations with our relation with like our partners. And even the deep conversations that are happening in this nation, in this culture, in society, where it's questioning a lot of things. And even though it's so uncomfortable, I just see this as like a beautiful point in today's society. Like, wow, there's like big changes happening in all levels, individually, collectively, and as a society and nation. So the interesting thing is I'm kind of listening to you. And this is where I'm like, I am going to be so excited to kind of witness how this gets played out in the article for this episode, because there's so much passion in your voice. I'm like, I need that to be translated. (laughs) And, you know, it also, you know, it does make it very clear that there is that, you know, true passion that you have about supporting people communicating differently around things that are, you know, not necessarily the easiest things to talk about or not as normalized as of right now. And I'm I'm curious if you can pinpoint anything that really made this something that you do have this passion for supporting people and being it being better about it. I don't I don't know if there's a pinpoint. I think there's just multiple experiences I've had in my life, right? Like I shared earlier where oh, wow, I was able to have this difficult conversation and I got my $12,000 raise. Or wow, I gave feedback to this nonprofit that they should consider having a woman of color board member and they're listening. Or wow, even now being a business and career coach, we're like, I just helped this client realize that she was going through so much as a woman of color. And unfortunately, the experiences she had She's not the only one because she felt so alone. So now she's transitioning to a different industry, making more money. And each time I've had like real honest conversations with individuals, you start seeing fabrics of change happening with individuals and how it's even changing the bigger collective where we're being, we're having these conversations and it's changing So I don't know, maybe that's also my experience being a former grassroots organizer. And, but I just see change happen each time we do have a conversation. All of that. Yes. All of it. I'm like, 
you sum that up. <laughs> I mean, let me just say, I do I wish I could change the whole world and country? I mean, yes, but there's also reasons why I got out of to being a grassroots organizer. But if we could think about what is our legacy and mission, what we can't contribute to our society, then it's like, okay, I can make these small little changes, but they add up, right? Facts. I, I do think that that's an important piece right there of just that whole understanding that it doesn't always have to be a large thing that every choice that you make adds up to make a big change. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we can't have this conversation about the workplace piece. And I know we've touched a little bit on personal as well, but without me asking you, like, are there any nuanced differences or things that you feel like come up when you're having these conscious conversations? I like that phrase. I'm going to be borrowing it, Elaine. Yeah, use it. <laughs> Outside of the workplace and into our personal lives, like one of the things that always comes up for me every year um, in my life is recognizing that the holidays are when the personal conversations tend to start happening a lot. Why are, are you taking time off to celebrate this holiday? Why or why not? You know, what are your boundaries around gifts? Who are you spending time with? Digging back into a family that maybe you don't even have a relationship with. And I'm sure that I am not the only one. So I just wonder if there are any differences there. You know what? It's pretty much the same, but I will say, I don't know if, both of you find it easier. But I think, like I said, the pandemic was a gift. So I feel like it actually gave me excuse to not continue seeing people that I don't want to see. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I haven't talked to you in two years. So we don't need to start now. Right. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm like, oh, thank God. Like I can focus on the people that I actually truly love. Um, and what's beautiful is even seeing it, like I said, I am in my 30s. So it's people couldn't get married for like a year or two years, right? They're all getting married. And even seeing how it's not big ass weddings, it's small, intimate weddings. You know, there's even weddings where I'm like, oh, I wasn't invited to that. But like, you know what? I'm going to respect it, right? It's just, I haven't talked to the person in three years or five years. Why am I going to be upset that I'm not going to it? So I think just being in this pandemic, it's been a gift to not see people you don't like. But also, you know, I mindful family is a different type of dynamic as well. So if there are certain conversations about certain political ex figures, if you know what I mean, um, I know I can't change someone's beliefs or thoughts. So if I need to remove myself from the conversation or walk away, I'll do it. Right. So just even honoring that. Um, but the example I gave earlier of, of the conscious conversation with even a romantic partner, it's like, which relationships are important to you to have that conscious conversation with, right? And I'm sure all of us agree where it's going to be our partnerships, our children, right? Those are really important conversations to continue having because when you have that place of understanding, it's okay, like this relationship will deepen that way. And also allow yourself to honor when you are with someone where they say things that will trigger where you could step out. You don't need to have that conscious conversation with them. You don't need to you don't need to try to fix every single person. Pick and choose and who you pick and choose, that's up to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I have a feeling that people may be putting this back on rewind <laughs> remix. <laughs> remix at certain times of the year, at certain points in life and decision making as well. <laughs> Agreed. So as we start to wind down, before we go, I would love to know if, now you may have already shared it, so feel free to say, I already gave it to you. But is there one action that you would like for the people to take after they listen into this conversation, something that they can go do that would be a part of them creating change? Oh, that's so good. You know what? Think about, because I'm all about creating legacies, like what is your bigger legacy you want to create? And with that, like what is one action you can do? So for example, my biggest le legacy I want to create is making sure women of color 
create a sustainable and equitable future in their career and business with their life. And another thing I know you said one action, but also another thing I want folks to reflect on is reflecting back on all the generations before us where they may not have had a voice and they weren't born in the generation we're at. I mean, I know we still have so much work to do, right? But I acknowledge how privileged I am to be born at the time I am, to be in this generation where I can speak the way I can speak. And in doing so, it's honoring the generations before me. I mean, I was just kind of a mic drop. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) now when I was saying I got a little teary eyed and I was looking, there's a picture of both my grandmas. I'm literally looking at a picture right now where I graduated from my master's and I had both of my matriarchs next to me, my maternal and paternal grandmothers. Um, and it's interesting, right? I'm pretty sure – I don't know if both of you are raised the same way, but it's like, no, just do whatever they tell you to do, right? Because mm-hmm. that's – and I'm not saying that they're horrible women for telling me that. That's just how they were raised. I'm like, well, that's because that's what they were taught. So what an honor that I don't need to quiet their voices either. I could speak up. Right. And how are you changing that for the future generations of your lineage going forward? Yeah. And it could be as simple as, you know, you being at Target and this is the wrong size, you know, like. You're like, no, I'm not doing this. (laughs) Well, and you're right. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wouldn't want to have anyone listening to this think that legacy immediately means that it's always about this big thing. Honestly, the smallest of ways that maybe didn't feel safe for someone to um, reclaim their own power and autonomy every time that you do it, you are filling in that generational bucket in that way. So please understand that something as small as being like, this order is not correct, or this is not actually what I wanted or this is not what I need in advocating for yourself. You are Mm. creating so much with that. Don't underestimate that. And just know, I mean, I shared I am part of the Pause on the Plate community with Indy and Erica. And if you're not part of it, why? I'm just kidding. But no, (laughs) seriously, why? You should join. Click on the show notes to click on that link. Um, So... You know, our body just knows um, there's an amazing book called The Body Keeps Score. And I was feeling uncomfortable being in a, in a specific container and statements that were being stated. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Let me just like not pay attention to it. And then I finally like really paid attention to like, yeah, this is not aligned to my values. And then I gave the feedback. But what was very important was being completely unattached. And sure, there is a contract. And I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to show up to the calls. I don't feel safe. And that is my decision. Um, And honoring that for myself. And if you have that inkling, you know, there's a reason why you have that and to explore that with curiosity. Go ahead, Erica, you're going to share something. No, I was going to say, if you can't make those choices for yourself, then you're allowing somebody else to make it. That's not the goal. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing that um, both here on the podcast today, but also, you know, exploring what was happening and how it felt in your body with us within the community as well. That requires a a certain amount of vulnerability and emotional investment, both in yourself and in the safety of the others in our space to do that. Well, and I think it's important to share because we're in the quote unquote, like online space, Um And as both of you know, I mean, there's a lot of service providers and it is important to integrate safe spaces. And when that's not happening, that could be very damaging to a client. And I have been on that unfortunate other end of it, which is why like I've done my own trauma-informed certification. I did it with AGM Moses. And also just being mindful and learning and growing from it. Because like I said, I'm human. I make mistakes. And I think we're, hopefully we do see a shift in this online space where people are more mindful, right? Um, Unfortunately, it's the marketing of do this, right? Here's the template. You should do this. You're doing it wrong. As opposed to really 
asking and providing agency to your client, like, have you considered doing this or what feels right to you? You know, Mm -hmm. going back to that, going back within the individual, as opposed to like the ego of a service provider and just that this is the one all end all template to follow. Yeah. So, of course, you've done all of these amazing things that have led everybody taking in this content, whether it's reading the article or actually listening to the podcast, how amazing you are. And now you have to let them know how they can go learn more about you and where they can find you. So where can the people find you, Elaine? Yeah, you could. I have my own podcast, so I'm on Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms. So you could find me um, under Color Your Dreams. So it's a Color Your Dreams podcast, so that's one way. And a second way, I love giving weekly tips and advice when it comes to business, career, and legacy. And I have pretty dope memes and and gifts (laughs) because I'm a millennial and I love gifts. So you could join my Color Your Dreams newsletter at elainelu.com forward slash join. Very nice. And as Elaine already mentioned, she is one of our members in Pause Wanna Play the Community. And we absolutely love knowing that she's in the room because she gives, she communicates, she takes in what everyone else is saying. And having someone in there that's not only holding space for others, but allowing themselves to be, you know, held space for and just being a part of everything powerful that's happening in the room. That's exactly the type of people that we want in the room. So for being one of our members, for being our guest today, and for being an all-around amazing person and sharing that wisdom with us, we thank you, Elaine. Thank you. Oh, well, I, I just want to say thank you to both of you, not only for having me as a guest. Um, I was honored and spoiled. I got to meet both Erica and India in person. I know, be jealous. Um <laughs> They're both lovely, like in person, if not more, and just the work both of you are doing, not just in this industry, in this world. I know it's a lot um, to hold space and you hold space so beautifully and safely. And I am so honored and grateful to be part of the community. So if you are listening, I hope to see you there. And it's not like all serious too. Like we joke around and have fun and laugh. We do. (laughs) You can come find that out. So this is Elaine. She told you. <laughs> there is something about being able to have a, a conversation about something that you and someone that you know do in the areas that they 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 work, that they specialize, that they have some type of expertise in, and to know that you're going to talk about the work and the professional pieces, but you're also going to talk as humans. And I love the fact that Elaine, Indy, and I were really able to provide that for you. And I think that there was so much there to be able to pick up for being able to navigate the amazing thing that Elaine called conscious conversation, which yes, we will borrow that because it's amazing. Thank you, Elaine, for that. Because I think there's what it is right now And the fact that this podcast will be here for you whenever this opportunity comes up and you'll need it again, any point that you'll want to be able to revisit, what are some of the things that may come up? What are some of the nuances you want to be aware of so that you can continue to expand the way that you are in conscious conversation, not only with you being the facilitator, but you being on the receiving end and being able to advocate for yourself. There's so much here and know that this podcast is always here for you to come back to whenever you need it. So for every single time that you are here listening to these conversations and being able to be a part of normalizing the challenging things so that we can make them a part of our everyday exchanges, thank you. Together, this is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection. Collectively, we can cross lines and recreate boundaries to support, not separate. Together, we can get more people dropping the veil and challenging their thoughts, feelings, actions, and state of being. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live 
and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?